Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Our worship services have many elements. We sing, people are baptized, the Word of God is preached, and we partake in the Lord's Supper, which some may call the Eucharist or Communion. Today, our senior pastor, Dr. Charles Redmond, looks to Scripture to answer the question, is there biblical authority for having the Lord's Supper? In his message, Born to Live, to die, to live again forever. Is there biblical authority for the Lord's Supper? Is this just something churches thought up? Or is there something in the Bible about that? Well, the answer is yes, there is. And let me mention very quickly two, two matters. We're going to look in the Word of God and see them. First of all, here's what we need to understand about the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It was his idea. It was not man's idea. It was not the church's idea. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, you can read that in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 26, in Mark chapter 14, in Luke chapter 22, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then it's not on the screen, and I deliberately did not include it, but in John chapter 13, where we read about Jesus being in the upper room, the emphasis there is on the washing of the feet. So there's really not much detail about the Lord's Supper in John chapter 13, but in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. Now, with that said, would you open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter number 22. I want us just to show you where we have... Uh, a biblical authority to do the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. So look in your Bible, if you will, Luke chapter 22, and let's maybe begin with verse number 14. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. The Bible says, when the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Now, these next two words, I have them circled in my Bible. I have them underlined. Jesus said, do this. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. He instituted the Lord's Supper, and he went on to say, in remembrance of me, and likewise the cup. So here, here's the point that I make as we begin this morning. We have not only biblical authority, we have biblical command from the Lord Jesus himself to do the Lord's Supper. Now, that said, I want you to look over in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 11. So you just turn in your Bible. It's very important you see this. 
I want us to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the Lord's Supper. Now, Paul's letter that we know as 1 Corinthians is earlier than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he got no information from them. He got his information from the Lord Jesus. It is the earliest record we have in the Bible of the Lord's Supper. Some call it by different names. Communion. A holy communion. Liturgical churches would use the word Eucharist, which just means to give thanks. All of that is good. Talking about the very same thing. Now look what we're talking about. Is there biblical authority for the Lord's Supper? Well, yes, there is. Number one, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He started it. It was his idea. And he commanded us to do it. And there's reason for that. Now look in verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul said, for I received from the Lord. Now he got this information from Jesus himself. That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Now here it comes again. Do this. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. But why? Well, here's the second biblical authority we have for doing what we'll be doing this morning. He said, in remembrance of me. Now don't turn back, but in Luke's gospel, in remembrance of me appears one time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as God gave the apostle Paul these words, this whole idea of remembrance appears a second time. Look in verse 25 said in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, there's our command from Jesus, as often as you drink it, and here a second time, in remembrance of me. So what is our biblical authority for taking the Lord's Supper? Well, it's to remind us of the most important day, the most important day in the history of the world. And that is when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So why do we take the Lord's Supper? Number one, Jesus started it. He instituted it. He commands us to do it. Number two, to remember. What are we to remember? The most important day in the history of the whole world. What? That day when Jesus hung on the cross shed his blood for your sins and for my sins and the sins of the whole world. Now, turn over to the right in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter number four, and I want us to think about what Jesus did that we, he was the worker. What did he do? Well, his work <laughs> enables you and me, all of us, who put our faith and trust him to experience this rest that God's word promises. Now in Hebrews chapter four, look in verse one, the Bible says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, here it is, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. 
For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, Bible knowledge is alone not sufficient. Bible knowledge without faith, (laughs) there's no profit to that. There's no value to that. You, you may have much information up here, but if it's not mixed and joined together with faith, what the Bible is saying, it, it really is not sufficient. It really does no good. He goes on in verse 3 to say, For we who have believed do enter that rest, talking about a spiritual rest, as God has said. And then the writer to Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95, and look at these words. So I swore, God said, in my wrath, They, that is Israel, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about this earthly rest that God's people in that day and in our day can experience. It goes on to say, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The finished work that God purposed in eternity past uh, is a finished work in Jesus Christ. And that is what he's saying. Now, turn back in your Bible, if you will, to Psalm 95. I want to show you something I think you'll find to be very interesting. The writer of Hebrews is referring to this. I want you to see it in your Bible. Back in Psalm 95, let's look down about verse number 8. Verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Talking about how the children of God disobeyed God on their way to the promised land. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. So even though they saw all my miracles, they kept testing me. They wouldn't believe. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. Now watch this in verse 10. We just read this a moment ago in Hebrews. So I swore in my wrath, God said, they shall not enter my rest. Now, listen, God's rest in this life, as in their life, not talking about heaven. We're talking about the promised land. But as we live the abundant life because of what he did in this life, what does, it, what does it involve? It involves peace, it involves plenty, and it involves unbroken fellowship with God. Now, that's when a person's really at peace. When a person is really at peace, and we can have that peace in Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I'm peace. And when we have Jesus, we have him. When we have him, we have peace. Not only that, we have plenty. And not only that, we have unbroken fellowship with God. Now, if you'll take your bulletin, I want us to take that little bit of information and quickly go through what we have here to kind of see where we're going. First of all, in your bulletin, if you just look at it, we simply say God's plan for man from the beginning was that man have intimate fellowship with him. That's that's why God ever made man in the first place. Why did God make man his own image? So God could have intimate fellowship with him. And what did God do? He placed him in a garden. We know it as the Garden of Eden. It was like like heaven 
on earth. And there Adam was, there Eve. And what happened? They messed it up. They messed it up for themselves. They messed it up for all of us. <laughs> they messed it up for everybody that's going to follow us. Sin entered the world. But now get this in your mind. God had a plan before he ever created man. And that plan, very simple, that mankind have intimate fellowship with him, the creator. Now, look in your bulletins. We move from that. When Adam and Eve sinned, here, here's the good part. When Adam and Eve sinned, it did not change God's plan. It changed what? It changed the location of God's plan. From where? From the garden to heaven. God's plan didn't change. When, when God created man, God's plan for man was to have unbroken fellowship with him. Adam and Eve messed that up. God's plan didn't change. You see, the Bible, te- God says, I do not change. See, that's the great thing about God. He's the same yesterday and day and forever. His plan never changed. The location of his plan changed. And of course, Jesus is the way to that new location. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So, God had a plan. It did not change. The location changed. And then build on that. If you look in your bulletin, Jesus was born, get the big picture, to live, to die, to live again forever. Now, others had died. You read it in the Bible and brought back to life. Jesus raised Lazarus, but Lazarus died again. All these people we read about that died, they died again. When Jesus died and rose, he never died again. So Jesus, born to what? To live and to die and to live forever. Why is that? To make God's plan possible and available. Now get these words, to all people. That'd be a good sermon, that part right there. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If I knew no other verse in the whole Bible but John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This idea that, you know, God elected some to be saved and he elected others to be doomed and damned and go to hell. That is just not what I believe the Bible teaches. Now, you can settle wherever you want to settle. I believe the blood of Jesus cleanses all people from their sins. If they what? If they repent from their sins and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, they will find their eternity with God in heaven. And to me, that's a great thing. But if you stop and think about it, look at that last little thing. Jesus is born to live, to die, to live again forever, to make God's plan possible and available to all people. You see, there had to be, listen, there had to be Bethlehem before there could be Golgotha. And there had to be Golgotha before there could be a resurrection. I mean, Jesus had to be born in order to die, and he had to die in order to experience the resurrection. And have you ever thought what a 
You talk about a mess. This whole idea, he had to be born in order to die. He had to die in order to be uh, raised from the dead. And because he is raised from the dead, were it not for the resurrection, go back in first in First Corinthians, but this time go to chapter 15, and I want you just to see this, maybe mark it in your Bible, were it not for the resurrection, oh, what a, what a dilemma we would be in today. Without the resurrection, <laughs> your faith would be absolutely useless. It'd be worthless. Look in First Corinthians chapter 15. Look down in verse number 14. It says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, useless, and your faith is also empty. In other words, Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 16, he told his disciples three specific times about the fact that he would be killed He'd be buried, but that he would rise from the grave. He told them about it. No doubt that they didn't comprehend it. So he told them a second time, and he told them a third time. Now think about something. If Jesus himself had said, I will experience resurrection, and it didn't happen, then if we say, well, you know, he made a little promise there, but he broke that promise. Well, if he broke that promise, then how do we believe all these other promises? But here's the good news. He didn't break that promise. He kept that promise. He did exactly what he said he would do. And because of that, our faith is not empty. Our faith is not useless. The same God that we put our faith in that promised the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, that faith works in every area of life. But not only that, if it weren't for the resurrection, we would be here today, all of us here today, guilty of all of our sins. Look in verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, but not only that, you're still in your sins. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? and you're not still guilty in your sins. Man, you know, how do we know that? Because we can trust the God who said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. And he did all three. And then he says, because of that, <laughs> you're not guilty in your sins anymore. If you've repented, turned from them, and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But oh, here's, here's, here's a very sad and somber thing. Were it not for the resurrection, listen, your family members and your friends that were all Christians, they were all believers that have died, let me tell you, without the resurrection, where they'd be? Perished. 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 Look down in verse 18. Still talking about what was mentioned in verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Oh, man, that's the most horrible thought in the world. Horrible thought in the world. 
many of you recently have had loved ones and family and friends who are Christians, were believers, and physically they died. Aren't you glad today they're not perished? Could we have an amen to that? Praise God. I'm telling you what, let me say this. Believer friend, I hope there's joy in your soul this morning that when you die, like you won't perish. You won't perish because of the resurrection. It's an amazing thing. Look, look in verse 20. Let me read it. It says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, excuse me, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Hey, let me read those verses out of the New Living Translation. Listen to this. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that's Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, that's Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, look at this, listen to this, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Man, I don't know where you are in life. I'm 81. I know I don't look it. I think the birth certificate's totally an error, but I'm smart enough to know this. I'm somewhere out in wherever I am in life. I mean, like, there's a lot more of my life behind me than there is ahead of me. Now, we're blessed in this day and time we live. You know, they can just replace our parts, you know. You know, I had a new knee put in. Yeah, they can put in a lot of new things. But one day, one day, there's nothing down there they can do. But here's what God has done. And it's all built around what we're going to remember this morning. The greatest day in the history of the world when Jesus died for our sins. And because of that, think about this. One day, <laughs> I'm going to have me a new body. And you're going to have a new body. And we're not going to perish. We're going to live forever. Because why? Because of what we're going to remember this morning. What he did. Will you live forever as Dr. Redmond was mentioning just now? In other words, have you invited Jesus into your heart to be the Lord and Savior of your life? We at Peace by Believing want you to have confidence in the fact that you can know Jesus as the Prince of Peace and experience peace here on earth now. Maybe today you need to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Won't you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please let us know about your new life in Christ by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org. 
or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Again, that's 1-800-337-0157. If you would like to grow in your relationship with the Lord, we have some resources that we believe will help you. Simply look for the booklets tab on peacebybelieving.org. The booklet, How to Be a Happy Christian, is a great booklet for those who have started their faith journey today. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Did you know that we are on social media? We invite you to like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook and follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. And don't forget to tell your family and your friends about Peace by Believing. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.